0: So, uh, what's your worst grade? What's the worst grade you've ever gotten in any of your classes,
1: Sean? Ever? Ever. In the history of my life? In the history. What's the lowest of the low? I think I got a 12% in grade 10 civics one time. Okay. And uh, considering I'm into politics, <laughs> yeah, right? that's kind of the career I want to go into. Like, I don't think that's going to get me elected.
0: Vote for Sean. I got a 12 <laughs> in civics once, right? <laughs> that's how committed I was. How about you? Oh wow! I think I think my lowest finishing grade. Yeah. I don't think I've ever failed a class. Actually, oh, yeah, guys. yeah, I'm a keener. So yeah, sure. I think I maybe got some fifties. And we have guests today. Yeah, we have special guests oh, today. Hi, hi, everybody. Hi, who who, who are you? What are uh, you doing here?
2: You're listening to Joseph Shauna back again uh, for another episode of One Dish One Mike. Due to
1: high demand, we had all from our fans, one person. Yeah, <laughs> <all our fans, laughs> yelling and screaming in Joe's name. Bring and back, one person. Back. Was Carl Dox Encore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we actually got an email from Nikki from Wiki that said, "Bring my nephew back We're on." So, <laughs> <laughs> Love you, <laughs> Auntie. <from> Nikki
1: Shawanitha, <laughs> sorry. Get her on your bad, bad side. You got, well, Can I even say "Shawan"? Does she go by "Shawan" or is it Jonathan now?
2: Some people call her Shawanathan. Shawanathan. Nikki
1: Shawanithan.
0: Yeah. Wait, there's another voice here.
3: Oh. Who are you? Yes, Segal. Uh, Alyssa. My name is Alyssa Megan General, and I'm from Six Nations, and I'm Mohawk
0: Turtle Clan. Awesome! Great! So, there's lots of us here.
1: <laughs> In the heart of the One Dish with One Spoon Treaty territory, Niagaraans Sean Vanderclis and Carl Dockstater dish on any and all issues from a First Nations perspective. From pipeline politics to poverty to pan-Indianism and more, Sean shares his concrete Curve Lake take, and Carl gives an urban Oneida angle. You are listening to One Dish, One Mic on the Niagara Podcasters Network.
0: What's uh, what's your worst grade? I'll bet you're a keener too, aren't you? My
3: grades? You're, oh my god! What's your? I think like the worst grade. Yep. I don't. I want to say it wasn't until I got into college <laughs> my worst. and it was like in vector or something kind of like I went through for graphic design so I think it was like vector arts or something like that Okay, something that like something really really kind of ridiculous actually no it wasn't vector it was another one it was kind of almost like the civics of College. <laughs> oh, God,
1: I, <laughs> I knew there's a reason we got along. I know.
0: So let me let me get this straight. Sean wants to be uh, get into politics and failed a civics class. And you're a professional artist and failed your art class. <laughs> you're going to yes! so, get a kick up what out of my, my worst mark. Was <laughs> what was your worst mark?
2: It was, uh, I'm pretty sure it was like a 23. Ooh, ouch. In native study. Oh, no. <laughs> you,
1: you wow. 23 and Native Studies. What do you? Just out of curiosity, what are you taking in college? I'm taking Indigenous and Community Social
2: Development. Oh boy! Okay, so that's kind of like Native Studies. Right? It's kind of like Native Studies, but it's a, a step, step, step higher. Okay, so we're yeah. aiming for 25
1: this this term. Yeah, or 24.
0: <laughs> it's good to have that that low watermark, right? Yeah. Low balling. Yeah. So, is is everybody educated? Like, how many how many combined years of post secondary do we have here? I I have uh, two years of an associate's degree, and I've taken a one year certificate program to combine for three years of post secondary. You're in uh, progress, right, yeah, Sean? I'm in
1: progress. I'm taking my bachelor's of business business administration with a focus of business business. Don't get in my business. <laughs> uh, <with the> focus on <laughs> human resources. So, uh, how many years? that? Four years, four and a half years. So, I'll I'll finish with a degree and
0: a diploma for Niagara College. Okay. So we're up to seven combined years, right? <laughs> what about you, Megan?
3: Um, I was like to... Uh, well, I started off in graphic design at Mohawk College. I took two years of that. And then I left that. And does think, adult immersion count? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I went to adult immersion for Ganyat Geha for two years. And then another two years after that, I went to... Um, I was in the Aboriginal Teachers Education Program through
0: Queens. Oh, neat. Yeah. Okay.
3: So
0: I guess that's six. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so we basically doubled. <laughs> yes. Do we have to call you Dr. Megan? Is oh, that...
3: <laughs> I wish. I wish it was that
0: easy. <laughs> How many years of post-secondary? You do have some post-secondary. I do. Yes. Surprisingly. Yeah. Um, I have one semester all right hey it counts right it's like yeah. 0.5, exactly.
3: so 5. Right. So yeah 0. 0.5 so 0.5
1: it's about 13.5 years
0: 13.5 combined um, years and believe it or not carl was my teacher it's true, <laughs> it's true. i it's do believe it
1: small I think, world I think I and
2: i got a bad mark in his class too
1: <laughs> <laughs> was that the no like
0: 69 or something oh wow oh well there it is ben? Sorry about that, buddy. Not everybody likes me. Try to go. Try to go by the rubric. So, uh, how do we <laughs> 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 read really what are. I give you? <laughs> So, how do we all feel about education? I, I, we're talking about this this week because uh, the Ontario Public Teachers Union, I believe, one of one of the public teachers unions had said this week that schools that are named John A. Macdonald should no longer be named after John A. Macdonald, right? Do we all agree that he's a bastard? Does anybody want to just stick their hand up and talk about how wonderful John A. McDonald is?
1: I mean, I can be the devil's advocate. Okay. If you'd like me to be. Sure. I'm you
0: nice. can play the role of Grant LaFleur. or oh, oh, oh. right. <laughs>
1: This is my, uh, I got your back for <laughs>
0: Um,
1: Johnny McDonald's the founding father. So he's often associated as the founding father of confederation. He is what initiated our separation from the British monarch. What else did he do? That's it. That's all I got. Sorry.
0: <laughs> so historically, uh, education was not a good thing for our people. Right. Um, Anybody who's listening to this podcast can go back and listen to Senator Insanity, where we just just briefly get into the topic of residential school, right? For, for listeners that don't know, go to your library, and if your library has books on residential school, go to your library, take out a book on residential school, and, and read it from cover to cover. So the least you can do is to put a couple hours in to understand that. If your library doesn't have that book, go to the librarian and say, why the hell don't you have books on residential school?
1: And once you've done that, start protesting because they should have books on residential school. Yeah. But, and that, that's just the first portion of the two-one-top discussing education. Like, the Indian Act specifically forbid us from, from entering post-secondary institutions. Wow. Um, if we were to can even consider becoming a professional, as they described it, we would lose status. We'd essentially become Canadian citizens. Yeah, we couldn't. Uh, that was enfranchisement, yeah, right? Yeah, Which... we, we essentially enfranchised yeah. Anytime we wanted to become, let's say, a lawyer, a doctor, things like that, like, when it came to educated Indians, as defined in the Constitution, it was completely full. pas. It didn't exist. Wow. To be an educated Indian, you essentially stopped being Indian.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So, we're, when it comes
0: to, when you think of Canada, right, Canada mm-hmm. just turned 150, yay, hooray, <laughs> hooray. Yeah. go Canada <laughs> <laughs> so Canada just turned 150 but really for most of that time we've been restricted from from getting an education right like like I think the laws really kicked in in what the mid1950s that allowed 40s, us to yeah. attend
1: post-secondary no. 60s. It wasn't until the '60s. Yeah, so we were we officially got the right to vote in 1960s. Wow. 1960s. I want to say '61. Okay. Um, Prior to '61, we needed permission to leave the reserve. So we needed like written notification from the band administrator saying we were coming off the reserve itself. Okay. So yeah, it wasn't until then. Last official residential school closed in '96. Wow. Um, so I mean, and this this all ties back to the policies of Johnny McDonald, right? Yep. Um, every single aspect of First, being a First Nations person, is affected by it, or was affected by his policies that he was solely behind. Prior to becoming the the Prime Minister of Canada, he was the head of was Indian Affairs. Um, The name changed, but essentially would be the head of Indigenous Affairs today. And those policies, again, why we're speaking in English?
0: Yeah, terrible, Mm -hmm. terrible. So uh, what I mean there, there's more. We could probably give more context, right? Like, like we could talk about how the the rates of completion for high school amongst Indigenous people are, are very low, and they're they're at the lowest levels. They're at historically low levels, uh, and they've been that way for for several decades, despite despite different uh, efforts. We could talk about First Nations education, right? How uh, the funding levels on reserves is substantially lower than the funding levels for for uh, urban people, right? Yep. People that don't live on reserves. It, it's much lower, um, but I kind of I kind of want to look at the history because I grew up I grew up in a house where my father uh, is in Oneida and he did get his university degree and he got it in the seventies um, after he served in Vietnam. One of the perks at that time was was that I got a free education out of it, and and he was one of the very first Oneidas to have it. Um, and he wasn't rewarded by his community when he went back, right? Like it wasn't, it wasn't like, oh great, Tom got his degree, you know, let's, let's shake his hand and congratulate him. Right. Like in actuality at that time, it's, it's something that our own people shunned him and the people back in the Oneida community shunned him a little bit. And he was seen as being a bit of an outsider. And I think, I think there's less of that today, but I'm just old enough to sort of remember that there's still, there still can be this attitude that you're a little hoity toity if you go out and get an education, right? Like you're sort of seen as one of them.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm
3: -hmm. it's funny because i actually just had a talk about this prior to coming here because um i've been chatting with a couple of different doctors and i feel like a lot more a lot of phds always like kind of push at you you should get your phd you should get educated and and part of me kind of doesn't want to do that because it kind of i feel like it sometimes shifts your thinking to a more western style of thinking whereas like kind of like what you what you Do in I guess like throughout your life, all of the experiences that you accumulate and the paths that you choose to lead and what you choose to become proficient in is your learning experience. That is your education. Like I wanted language, so I decided to go the route of language and and seeking it out. Whereas like I could have gone to school and gone gone through for linguistics if that's the route that I wanted to go, but there was something that's taken away through that whole education process. It's almost like the spirit of your learning suffers because it's all based on brain and all based on thinking. I was just like, sorry, just to interrupt. No,
0: no, that's a great, no, thanks. Thanks for sharing. That's a great perspective.
1: I agree completely it's forced upon you. Um, when you're in university, when you're in post-secondary, you are, you are, you are restricted to timelines, deadlines, you're restricted to the material that you're learning. Um, the sake of learning for fun does not exist in universities yes. at all. Um, like you said, there's a syllabus that, you, that you're obligated to, to follow, and you know exactly what you're getting yourself into, but is that really worth it?
3: And the one thing that's interesting, too, about this whole... I'm not too sure if you've ever seen it, but there is this excellent talk by Ken Robinson called Changing... I think it's Changing Education Paradigms or Changing Learning Paradigms. And one of the things that he talks about in that is that the... Arts is the most, like, it, he's like, they have, like, little to no funding for arts and little to no funding for, like, for any of that um, kind of, like, arts oriented activities. But he said, but it's so crucial to the way that kids think because he's like, you have, well, he describes it, he's like, the arts as- address aesthetics. And aesthetics are when you're alive, when you're fully aware of this thing that you're learning. And he's like the anesthetic approach is the one that most mainstream schools take take precedent in. Now is that that no, you sit down, you shut up, you learn. <laughs> like that's that's pretty much the way it goes. Whereas, um, for example, my daughter goes to a Waldorf school, and the Waldorf method of teaching is like m- very very natural. It's very about like very much about observation and the natural development of the child, rather than forcing these standards on children.
0: Okay. Mm. No, that's that's neat. I mean, um, I, I like the fact that education has come a long way, but the the experience that I still see with a lot of people. I see it in the. I mean, I work in Fort Erie, right at the at the Native Center, and I still hear horror stories about about teachers. That I mean, most teachers are well intentioned, and in a lot of cases, it's genuine ignorance and lack of knowledge on the part of the teachers. But when it comes to mainstream education, right, it's still it's still ultimately a colonizing institution, right? <laughs> but how yeah. does that factor into what you're going to do? Like, like you know that you're. I would say that your your indigenous IQ is is absolutely off the charts Thank for you. somebody that's that's 18 years old, right? Yeah. So but you're going into a colonial institute, but what are you taking it? Why are you taking it, Joe? For
2: me, I'm taking it because um, ever since I started my, ever since I started my um, my journey in becoming the man who I think that I'm supposed to be for my family in the future and my family right now and eventually my community, um, I've seen that there was definitely a need for me to be even uh, considered to be like, listen to that. I needed an education. Um, that I needed to have some sort of um, like title and what I am and what I like behind my name to back me up. And going into this institution, um, this colonialized institution, with this mindset that I'm going to come out like a, a whole new person and just ready to give back to the community is is kind of weird like it's kind of scary because most of the people who did go through education school system uh back then like they didn't really come out the same way or um and nowadays most people uh that do have an education and do go through an education uh, they don't really do anything with it and um personally from in my opinion i feel like um I just, I'm ready to kind of change that
0: in our local area. Okay. So even though, uh, I think when we were setting up this episode, uh, and I was talking to Joe about some of the things we're going to talk about, I, I asked like, does, does the institution colonize you or do you go in and decolonize the institution? Right. And how real is it to go in and decolonize uh, these very mainstream, very long-standing? I mean, so the school system is hundreds of years old, right? The college system is is decades and decades old here here in Ontario. Some of these universities go back over over a hundred years, right? So they're they're the super duper schooling. colonial. The
2: idea of schooling or the idea of passing knowledge from one individual to another individual has been uh, ancient. It's ancient across many different countries, even our own. So I think that going in there and knowing that eventually I'm going to be teaching somebody the same thing that I just learned is a lot easier to go in and decolonize the whole place than, uh, having them oppress me. Right. Yeah. Um, going in and saying my opinion about, uh, whatever, getting involved in the student service, Aboriginal student services and, uh, like promoting more powwows or whatever is just my kind of way of decolonizing it. Okay
0: sorry for interrupting no no that's, that's great jump in anytime like this is this is a podcast so if you have something interesting to say say it right sorry so I don't, something's
1: right. sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you have anything to say say it except for that
1: yeah
0: <laughs> just kidding um, so I mean can what about Niagara College can Niagara College be, be decolonized right
1: could it well definitely I think any formal institution could use a little more indigenous influence in it um, mm-hmm. indigenous knowledge has a lot to be, or sorry, can be brought forward in a lot more um, in a formalized environment, if you if you will. Um, yeah, I mean, education, the stigma that's often associated with education was that it, like, the government's policy was that it was a divide-and-conquer method. Um, if you got edu- educated, you lost status. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Yep. So now we're stuck fighting amongst ourselves, like back to when your father was in university, um, fighting amongst ourselves for being educated. Um, the concept of educating yourself means that you're, you're bettering yourself and that you're investing in your future, um, except if you're in Okay. Right? <laughs> so uh, anytime we can bring that indigeneity to formal institutions, I would highly encourage it. Mm-hmm. just from my perspective.
3: And I think it's like... A- just kind of like, I guess, like kind of riffing off of what you're saying. The one thing too is that I think like the school system itself—it's—it's it's kind of they're—they're they're starting to shift a little bit, but it's like kind of like not. It's just like at like they're like kind of like the tip of the iceberg. Like they're they're yeah. starting they're starting to. They need to I'm be like, nudged. Yeah, because yeah. like there's things that like that like honorary doctorates. That kind of like i'm like that's like kind of a coolest concept because it's a concept that you didn't you didn't go to school specifically for this, but mm-hmm. you have acquired a depth and a wealth of knowledge on your own through your own means, yeah and I think that recognition is i think that's like that's great because like a lot of a lot of the the men that I know or the women that I know that have gone through and become like have this honorary doctorate they're really they're in the community they're in there and they're doing things they're kind of like they're making change in their own strides but they're being recognized for it now Mm, and i'm kind of like that's kind of like the way it like it should be it's almost like an indigenous way of like you know you're an indigenous knowledge holder like here here is your certificate (laughs) for all of the indigenous (laughs) knowledge that you have and i think that's like a pretty like a pretty cool means of getting back to like kind of like a, an indigenous way of recognizing the knowledge that somebody carries
0: okay so there I mean there's definitely people that, that are pushing and I mean I, I recently have just gotten into John Mohawk right like I, I love him and I have the pleasure of having crossed paths with Bob Antone a bunch of times and he, he's Dr. Bob Antone, um, though he wasn't Dr. Bob Antone the first time I met him. Um, and so I actually read his PhD thesis, which, which is available for free uh, online, and, and it's absolutely amazing. I, w- I would encourage everybody to read it. But, but are the academic Indigenous people, aren't they kind of the exception to the rule right now? Like, there's still, there's still a lot of our people right now that, that are stuck in poverty or stuck working uh, working poor people people that that don't have enough opportunity don't have the opportunity to to go to school right how is how is education accommodating them right like i think i think they're making room for the best of the best and i think that they there is we're very fortunate to live in a day and age where people are acknowledging things that that language is important history is important this mm-hmm. whole indigenous worldview the the hundreds of different um, worldviews of indigenous people are great but for the vast majority of our people school is still just another barrier that's that's keeping them from realizing the hopes and dreams of, of the rest of people in mainstream society. Right. Mm-hmm. What I
2: think it like, I think if we deconstruct the idea of school and put it in, uh, so like different reserves, like, uh, six nations, for example, you don't like, you take out the local high school and instead of that, you go to Longhouse instead and you learn everything from there. And then that would be your like traditional base. And then out of that, you can uh, distinguish, like, your, um, like, athletes and your people who, like, want to get an education in post-secondary and stuff like that. And I think, like, if everybody has a cultural base and, like, their own, uh, like, culture, I think, like, that would be, like, a really good place to start and a way to, like, start everything.
3: And I feel like he has a point here, like, a really big one, because it's always been my, under like, my- i taught from anywhere from like grade one to high school and the one thing that I always found is that as soon as you start like started talking about either especially traditional stories Mm -hmm. to our kids they're automatically hooked they're automatically in there because they're seeing something that can represent themselves which is a lot of what mainstream education is lacking there's no representation of like, you know, kids are, like, reading, their kind of, like, Dick and Jane type books, but there's, like, no real representation of themselves and their own interests and, and the interests from a cultural perspective. Like, you would probably not see lacrosse books in a non-native school. Yeah. Or things like that. So there's no repre- representation for them. So these kids don't really have, I, I kind of feel like it, it's a little bit of a role modeling, but it's, I'm trying to, like, I'm having a really hard time, like, trying to, like, articulate what it is, but it's, like, to me if a child has their language and their culture growing up, their ability to self-actualize becomes, um, it becomes almost like more within reach because they have a solid understanding of who they are. And I'm not too sure exactly how it factors in. Like this is something that I would be like super fascinated to study, but it somehow allows them because they know who they are, because they know where they come from and they have that support backing them it somehow allows them to become more successful in like in secondary education or like going through like or post-secondary education that's what I meant
1: but to me it kind of sounds like you're describing like the medicine wheel teaching so once once they have this this basis they are now complete individuals yes exactly so like medicine wheel teachings talk about um joe if you want to elaborate uh they talk about um so
2: everything has four sections so The medicine wheel teachings, um, basically you have to take care of those four sections of yourself. And once you have all those four quadrants to yourself, then you're basically a whole person and you're like, you're connected with everything that you are and that ever will be, uh, that those parts are emotional, uh, spiritual, mental, and physical. And once you have all those in mind, you'll be holistic.
1: Mm -hmm. And for, for like non-indigenous people, like I'm just trying to put myself in their perspective a lot of times what they'll say is, well, I'm Canadian. Do you know what I mean? They'll identify as Canadian as opposed to being Polish or being Russian. But they still have that firm understanding of, of who they are. They may not be able to trace it back to, to their Polish Polish ancestry or to their Russian ancestry, but they still have that fundamental understanding of what it means to be who they are. Whereas Indigenous people, where if you're lost in who you are, they, you're kind of Loss as a whole because we don't fit into Canadian culture, mm-hmm. and if we don't have a firm understanding of our culture and our language, then do we really fit into being an Indigenous person? Like, what do we have to grab onto? So, mm-hmm. kind of speaking and playing off to what you're speaking is once an Indigenous person gets that grasp and gets that foundation and base. They begin to excel.
0: That's where the magic happens, if you will. I I think that makes sense. But uh, I I had the opportunity to interview Jennifer Brandt in in a podcast who I mean, she's from our community, she's she's highly educated. Soon to be Doctor Brandt? Yeah, soon to be soon to be Doctor Brandt, right? But she, she'll be the first one to tell you that, that she got a lot of her cultural knowledge from school, right? From, from a colonial institution, right? So, and, and it's, been, it's been my experience growing up that most of the people, whether it's the people I went to Little Beavers with or people I still meet today yep. in the friendship center movement, that there's not enough access to culture right now. It's obviously we went from being purely cultural people that lived and breathed our culture to the culture was, was manually taken away from us in yep. residential school. And now here we are, we're, we're trying to get it back, right? So I mean, is a mainstream post-secondary institution an appropriate provider for culture for people that don't have access to other tools that don't have that don't have Joe's grandfather to talk to?
1: I mean, it's kind of backwards thinking because the reason we don't have our culture and our language was because of schools. Yeah. And then 20 years later, people like Jennifer Brandt are going back to school and obtaining their their Ph.D. and receiving that culture. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like you yeah. come for a full circle now. Um, but is it, is it possible? Of course. I mean, the only issue is, is what culture are you learning?
3: Yes. Do you know what I, I mean? So, yeah. say, like, that's like the...
1: Mm-hmm. Jen, Jen's of, in a fortunate position that she attended Brock University with a high influence of the Haudenosaunee people, right? Yeah. Me going to Brock University, I'm probably not going to get as much out of the cultural aspects from that school, mm-hmm. um, being Ojibwe, being uh, Anishinaabe, than I would going to, like, Trent. And that Sorry. was yeah, that was a
2: really big factor in me picking my post-secondary uh, like school to go to because I understood that like my whole life I've been growing up with Haudenosaunee uh, teachings and Anishinaabe teachings, and sometimes I get confused. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. Do so we go <laughs> clockwise or counterclockwise? Yeah, <laughs> but um, and I always kind of wanted to focus more on the Anishinaabe side. Like I know that there's a whole other. Like side of me that I don't really know about, like the whole ceremonial side and all that. So I feel like when I go, I pick Georgian College because that's that's the right area. Like that's the area for me to go. Like that's mm-hmm. where my people are, uh, kind of. But Ish. yeah.
1: We, we were nomadic though. Yeah, we moved all the yeah.
0: yeah, you guys claim everything. Yeah, right. Every right. all the territory was ours. From we just <laughs> pee on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna try and make my way down to Mexico. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm waiting for the Mexican land claim to cover the Mishnaman people. So we, I mean, we around this table know enough not to be pan Indian. Right. But again, that's when, when you think of like, I took, I took an, ele- an electrical engineering based program, right. Renewable energy technician at Niagara college. And for decades, they've had the top most electrical engineering minds go through that. So go through there. So when they're building their collective knowledge, it transfers from person to person and it's interchangeable, right? Like math by any one of the four of us that's good at math will will look the same. Yeah. But when you look at it, when we look at our cultural basis, like we're bringing four culturally unique perspectives. So like even if the four of us were going to go and found a school tomorrow, how do we even establish a, some sort of cultural framework, right? When there's such a wide variety mm-hmm. of cultures to draw from. So again, it's, is it Really pragmatic to ask post secondary if if the four of us couldn't even do it, how could we ask Niagara College, Brock, Georgian, or others to do it?
1: No, means
3: go. Sorry, Um, just go. Well, just go. No, but um, I was gonna say like I think that the one things that one of the things that a lot of the schools are doing now, like especially like well, just from what I've noticed of the University of or uh, the University of Waterloo, uh. In Kitchener, what they had done was they just picked the closest territory to them to decide like what language they were going to house. So they they went with Mohawk, and I thought that was like a pretty fantastic way to go about it. Like which like what nations are in closest?
0: I figure you would think it was awesome. Yeah, Mohawk. Hey,
1: hey,
3: hey. GPS (laughs) GPS <laughs> <how the laughs> it no, but, um, but no <laughs> but no yeah I think that um, I think that was an excellent way to go about like choosing which one but and like I think that they could have multiple if they wanted to like they could have like Bemoin or they could have like Ganyakeha they could choose which ones like or have them all, why
2: not? I think, yeah, I think it should be like different departments, yeah, like uh, like how they have like the science department and the math department. I think if it's going to be, it should be like a sub department underneath indigenous studies, so be like Anishinaabe and then Haudenosaunee, and then under Haudenosaunee, you guys have a whole bunch of other sub departments of <laughs> your whole confederacy,
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and yeah, under Anishinaabe, they, we learn what we learn, but. Um, I think like if all schools had that, I, I know some schools aren't even, most people, schools don't even have like an indigenous studies course because when I was picking my college, uh, it was really hard to find one. Um, but I did and I'm lucky, thankful. Um, but yeah, I think that would be like a huge help into reclaiming anything that we need in like if you wanted to focus, so say, it's like, say like somebody, we were talking about that base, right, and somebody was the, like, say they wanted to further their education and they wanted to be, get their PhD and teach and then uh, they go from the longhouse and then they see like, hey, uh, Fanshawe College has this awesome like course and it's, oh, it's the whole confederacy, I could choose whatever I want to learn and then it'd be like one year I learned or one year Onondaga and then whatever.
3: Or even like not even like just that because I'm I remember I was trying to I was trying to push like at least one school to be like hey you guys should offer a course in like traditional tattooing or like traditional tattooing I'm like that'd be so cool like that'd be so interesting to have like us like a school that specializes in all of these really awesome things that are traditionally like represent us and to be kind of like looking at it from like a more like well like for example like you could. You could talk about the creation story and talk about, like, like, science from there. Like, there's so much stuff that you can draw on from just that creation story, whether it's, like, planting or whether it's, like, like you know, celestial bodies, like, the planets mm. and stuff like that. There's so much that you can draw on from, like, the scope of our culture,
0: Sure. So let's let's take um, uh, let's take Dr. Amber Adams right. Since you mentioned the creation story, and I, I talk about in my ecology class, I talk about her successional ecology. And to in a in a really quick nutshell, one of one of the theories that she has that's, that's absolutely brilliant is is that when the Sky Woman comes to the Earth, that it's akin to a new Earth. So it's like an ecological system after a tornado's ripped through, and there's no there's no life form there, right? Mm-hmm. And eventually, what happens is is successionally the ecological systems fill themselves in and as you hear the creation story recited you actually hear them talking about all the different plants and the order of the plants actually happens to coincide with the way that plants would propagate a natural system that's in there. So let's say that you have Dr. Amber Adams and she's teaching that course and she leaves. What does the Post-Secondary Institute do then?
1: I mean, from an indigenous perspective then the course is gone, in my my opinion. I think the knowledge is... In the people. In the person. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's in the person, right? We don't. We are not as black and white as Western civilization. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to education, very much, you can do this, you can't do this. Math is A plus B, A squared plus B squared equals C squared, whereas indigenous ways of knowledge and indigenous ways of doing so is not the same. Um, a lot of our cultures focus on oral tradition. So for us to define that, is almost impossible.
3: Yeah. And, like, even, like, well, even just using, like, the creation story as an example is that not one person will view that story in the same way. Yeah. Like, you have so many indigenous scholars already that view, like, have totally different understandings and um, theories, like, built around that. But they're all, they, they are. They're all the same. Yeah. they're yeah. Like, it's all this, like, it's the same story, but it's so many different perspectives. Yeah. Everybody, t- I like how Kevin White kind of talks about it, where he's like, you know, people kind of take from it what they, what kind of resonates with them.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, well, there, there's another element of it then, because um, I, I had the great pleasure of, of listening to you. And Sarah General and Kevin White give a talk at the Niagara Regional Native Center. And one of the things that, that Kevin White reminded the audience of, I was in, in the audience, and one of the things that he reminded us of was that our traditions are supposed to be oral. And that one of the reasons that we have oral traditions, as opposed to writing things down, is that when somebody recites something orally, you're only going to recall so much of what they had to say. But what you're likely to recall is the thing that you were supposed to take away. So mm-hmm. somebody could give a speech uh, to, you know, I could give a speech to the three of you, and all three of you could take take different parts of that to use. But that flies in the face of how of how Western institutions work, right? They want you to write it down. They want you to come up with 13 outcomes spread out over four objectives. They want those deliverables on a teaching and learning plan that's set and tuned into a certain number of weeks, right? So again, are, I mean, are they really compatible?
1: No, I don't think so. <laughs> um, but are they meant to be? Should they be? I Definitely not. I feel like Indigenous influence in post-secondary institutions is a benefit and that's that Mm -hmm. like we we only enhance institutions but i don't think we should be like i'm not pro-indigenous courses at school like indigenous
0: culture courses like mandatory or at all there shouldn't be ever be any indigenous courses when when
1: it comes to writing it down no i don't think so yeah There's, there's to me there's like indigenous history 101 like we can talk about residential schools we can talk about why indigenous people are the way they are from a historical standpoint mm-hmm. but for me to sit here and educate on the mississaugas of the new of the new credit or a curve late first nations i don't think we should be able to do that and what i was thinking too was like
2: that uh the difference in teaching styles in western civilization and this uh our traditional way of teaching and like it goes back like with the oral with the oral like <clears throat> passing down of like knowledge. And I was thinking on how I eventually want to go and be a teacher. Sorry, I have bronchitis. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but um You want to teach bronchitis? And I was thinking I was thinking like how like most teachers, like they hand out the tests and they they don't sit down with the students. They don't like one-on-one with the students. Yes. And when I am a teacher, what I hope to do, I'll put, and as cliche as it sounds, I'll put everybody in a circle and I'll individually talk to everybody and find out where they are mm-hmm. and like, and how they are. And in that style, I'll, I won't, I'll give them, like I'll, we'll say, we'll talk about residential schools, right? I'll do a big presentation about it. And then I'll talk to everybody about what they took away from it because everybody takes away different aspects of it. Right. And then from there, uh, give them the resources where they want to learn more. And then when they want to learn more, then that's how they grasp an understanding of this certain event or this certain thing. And then it ties into other things and they want to learn more. That's how I feel like teaching should be for indigenous (laughs) studies. (laughs)
0: How do you how do you structure that though right like when you like I look at I look at a place like Six Nations Polytechnic right like if I were if I were gonna go back to school tomorrow I'd probably go there right like I like the way that they have used structure and organized their courses and it's all things that I'm that I'm deeply interested in right like they have they have cosmology they have uh, Haudenosaunee cosmology they have language they have all kinds of all kinds of neat stuff so so it can be done in my understanding that it's it's indigenous led Six Nations Polytechnic just just hosted the World Indigenous Peoples Conference on Education. So you can, you can have an indigenous institution that's led by indigenous people, employs indigenous teachers with indigenous course courses, right? And it works. But then what, what we're kind of talking about is that the vast majority of, of post secondary institutions are, are non indigenous, right? So it's still, I mean, I keep asking the same question. Does it work? I, first off, I think it does. Like in that, I'm, I'm more asking the question for the sake of, for the sake of conversation. I think that all four of us would um, encourage our children to go to school and to go to post-secondary yes. and to learn as much as possible, even if, if it's non-indigenous mm-hmm. course matter, right? I think they want to do. Yeah. Right. Like get some STEM skills, right? I want my, I want my girls to, to get STEM skills, right? Science, technology, engineering and cook. math. <laughs> yeah. Well, there we go. Yeah. You have kids. You heard it here first. (laughs) Breaking news on one dish, one mic. (laughs) Wow, little Joe and Joe. going to be mad. My mom's going to be mad. (laughs) Hopefully, she's not listening. Uh, She'll probably be listening. (laughs) We're uh, um, now. What about when? What about when? Okay, so Sean's against. college institutions offering Indigenous courses, basically, because they'll probably do it wrong? That's kind of what you said? Well,
1: for me, Indigenous, sorry, Western education is right or wrong. Do you know what I mean? Those are the options when it comes to Western institutions. Very rigid. When you talk to um, knowledge keepers, faith keepers, elders, a lot of times when they are about to begin their teachings, they start out with, well, I was taught this, or from what I was told, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's never this is the way, like how as a, as as a Miss Saga from Curve Lake, how we do our ceremonies is going to be drastically different than Joe, who is my cousin from Wiki, from <laughs> Okanagan, right? They're not going to be the same at all. So who am I to say this is the right Ojibwe way and that's the wrong way? Yeah. You you can't do that. You can't sit here and say that you can't put a. a definite finite answer to to our culture because our culture is continuously evolving and it it is flowing it's it's like the wind it goes in it goes out there's no you can't define it um so that's why i'm against people teaching very strict indigenous classes okay Um, if you want to learn about the history of indigenous people by all means if you want to learn about language yes that i'm in favor of not culture
2: and that's kind of where I was leaning towards too because like I'm not in favor of the right and wrong thing because yeah. personally I struggled with my indigenous studies teacher and that's why I flunked the class but mm-hmm. because her way of teaching was right or wrong him or her yeah. <laughs>
1: sorry I had to point it out well, sorry did you go to a 40 or 86 yeah, <laughs> last podcast
2: but and I thought that was like really weird because like as indigenous people, we know that there's more than one mm-hmm. way of being, and that there's more than one way to everything. Mm-hmm. So, what I was leaning towards when I was saying how I want to be when I want to be a teacher, like I'll individualize everything, and how I'll grade it is by at the beginning of the course, I'll like kind of measure where they are in mm-hmm. the spectrum of knowing certain indigenous issues, and then by the end of it, how I teach it and how I individualize certain things. I'll uh, test them again, or like ask them again on like certain things, and then about the indigenous issues, and then whatever they give me back, and that's what they learn. That's mm-hmm. what they keep with them, and then that's how I'll mark it, and that's how I'll say you got an eighty or you got a
0: twenty-five. So there could be ways to <clears throat> to decolonize marking and, and course structure, well, right?
1: Oh, of course. I think okay. Like, I think Joe's methodology right there is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Right. You're, you. you're, you're teaching the student, not a class. Exactly. Yeah. You're teaching a person as opposed to to 30 different children right
3: well like when you even like think about it too like the like to me like if you were testing some like a child almost say like on let's say if i was teaching my kids traditional medicine or something like that and i was okay we're gonna try and make this type of thing we're gonna make this type of oh, like well maybe it's whatever maybe it's lacrostic, lacrosse thing. maybe it's something else um maybe it's a snow snake, but um like, the test would be them doing it themselves and then teaching somebody else. Like, to me, like, that's kind of, like, like an Indigenous framework is yep. that you've taught... I've taught you something. Now, I want you to go and teach that to somebody else because, like, your experience is going to be different, like, and your understanding, you're going to get, like, you're going to get a different picture of how things are done from, from another, like, from, I guess, like, through, through your own experience. And, and with that, like, you're able to teach somebody else and maybe, like, add a little bit more to it. Like, oh, no, you don't. You shouldn't start out with fancy baskets first. You should start out with corn washing baskets because that's simpler. Like, <laughs> little things <Yeah>. like that. <laughs> like, that kind of happen through, through your own experience with these tools. And to me, like, that's a little bit more of an indigenous way of, of grading somebody is, like, where do you go with it? Where do you mm-hmm. go with the knowledge I give you?
0: That makes, that makes perfect sense when Jamie Jacobs was down for the Youth and Elders at the Niagara Regional Native Center. He's a great guy. Yeah. Very, super knowledgeable. Like, yeah. like really knowledgeable. But one of the things that he, that he talked about was that people people would sit around and they would make baskets because you needed baskets, mm-hmm. right? Like, there was a certain utility to it, but there's also, like, there was a social aspect to it, too. Like, like maybe all the aunties would sit around in a circle while the children played in between them, and they told stories, you know, talking about the guys or whatever while, while they did it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there that that's how knowledge was transferred between our people and now we're looking to sort of transfer it through the through these school systems and there there's definitely some incompatibility there, right?
3: Mm-hmm. I think that like for the most part, the the incompatibility is that you need to meet the standard or that every person is the same and retains knowledge in the same ways like yeah. uh, going through for, I went through, like, well, it said I had gone through, like, Aboriginal teachers' education program with Queen's, and one of the things that was, like, really fascinating about it is that, like, kind of, like, the teacher's job is to really observe your student, and to see, like, what their learning style is, because they're like, not all kids learn, like, here, pen, paper, write this out, and it's the same for languages, too, like, not Mm -hmm. all people learn languages the same way, we all have different, like, I used to sing. (laughs) That was that was my way of like going through and mm-hmm. trying to get as much experience using the language as possible in lieu of not have of, of having another speaker there. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like the same thing with like kids. Is like we all have our different we all have our different ways of learning. And how can you expect people who are so different every and everybody being so different? How can you expect the same standard from each
2: person? Mm-hmm.
1: And I think,
2: yeah. Sorry, I think that mindset has to be like the first thing to go if you're going to teach an indigenous mm-hmm. studies course. Because with that mindset gone, that everybody's the same, everybody learns everything the same, that there's only one way to get one thing across, then you're not going to be able to teach an indigenous studies course because we believe that there's
0: more than one way of everything.
2: Mm-hmm. Sorry, well, yeah.
0: I've got I got a couple things that I'm curious about. First off, I'd, I'd like to know how everybody feels about about non-indigenous teachers teaching indigenous subject matter. And I don't necessarily mean, I think, I think there's consensus amongst us. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I I mean, I think, I think on a simple level, we would all agree that they shouldn't Right. that, that non-indigenous teachers shouldn't teach of course, indigenous courses, right? Like you're not going to have the, you know, the, the ash basket making course from somebody that, that just doesn't understand the cultural component of it. But then there's also the practical, the practical component of that, um, I've seen numbers that as high as eighty percent of Indigenous people in Ontario now live in urban settings, right? So that's four out of five Indigenous people. That means that all those kids are going in through the public school system. There's not enough teachers right now to teach Indigenous subject matter, which means that as they're going through those those school systems, they're not getting any Indigenous content. So you don't want to have non-Indigenous people teaching Indigenous subject matter, but then you also don't want to have your kids going through the school system and not having any access to learn about an indigenous history and indigenous ways
3: and it's it's tricky because I've seen it done and I kind of I didn't mind this way this way of doing it was um, the teacher in the classroom I think it was grade 3 class had taught her kids the history of like it was the history of the Haudenosaunee like where we traditionally were and like um, kind of just like traditional lifestyles and stuff like that, and so she had asked um, me and a friend of like a friend of mine to go into the classroom and kind of talk about talk about our language and our culture a little bit. And it was interesting. I thought that was a good way to do it because first, first of all, you're having two people with different knowledge backgrounds providing the kids information and they asked really good questions. Like I thought they had asked really, they had done like really good research, but it was, I thought like the, the teachers thought it was great that they, um, to have other people to ask there to like fact check mm-hmm. what they had, what they had learned and also to correct some of their thinking. And I think that for like for students, especially when you have, I guess like when you have somebody there Who who is well versed in what like whatever it is you're talking about, whatever like um, whether it's the arts or like whether it's science. If you have somebody there, it somehow leaves a little bit more of an impression on that kid of like you know okay, like oh I was wrong about this, and like I'm going to like now I have like kind of maybe not the black and white version, but like I have a better understanding now. Mm -hmm. And that's that's what you want the kids to walk away with is like a the better a better understanding from an accurate source, but it's about finding those accurate sources and making them available to schools. That's like kind of like the hard part.
1: And and that's one of the issues that we are seeing in Niagara now is a lot of times individual schools will be approaching community members within the region to come in and do talks or little educational sessions on, on culture. And in my opinion, these people aren't capable or competent enough to do so. Um, and they're grabbing on to Pan-Indian things, such as dream catchers <laughs> yes. and such as um, powwows, things like that. Not to say powwows are Pan-Indian, but I mean... It, they kind of are, like are, a lot right? of them. Yeah. yeah. Sense, but they're grabbing on to these stereotypical items that are used to identify our people that may not be applicable to any one of the people there.
0: I think Joe's got special knowledge in this because the the Fort Native Friendship Center gets contacted a lot to have indigenous culture represented in the schools. And you've actually been to a bunch of schools. But yeah. what, I've, what I've heard through the grapevine is that sometimes they just want the singing and dancing Indians and they're not too interested in hearing about residential school and in hearing about culture and history and, and, that's and a the unique part. barriers. Yeah. yeah, My
2: experiences with all that and going into the schools, um, I guess I kind of started when I was about uh, eight, eight or nine, and I I would that's when I would be singing and uh, dancing, the Oniaga drum group. We go into schools, we do dance presentations, and I would just be a little kid dancing around, and um, uh, it was like it was it was nice at first. Um, uh, like I I didn't kind of fully understand it, but as I grew over time, I grew to understand it. I even eventually now I'm organizing or. I'm the contact person for the like running those things and being the person to go and facilitate them. You'll come and, down from Barry, just to clarify. I will. Okay.
0: Anybody who needs
2: dancing and singing.
0: Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm singing and <laughs> Sean needs it. <laughs> 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 like, 3 <a>. just, <laughs> just Sean by himself. <laughs> like drunk dialing Joe. <laughs> I'm
2: singing and dancing. <laughs> right now, Joe. <laughs>
1: Five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> a two hours away. But figured out. <laughs>
2: but yeah, um, I really did see that there was a lot of people who just didn't want uh, one with the other, and which is kind of weird because if you want one, you have to take the other because it's one whole thing, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I still, I still do it. Because it's, well, I mean,
1: for us, that's a part of our culture that we firmly identify with. Yeah. So we know that there's a distinction between powwow dancing, grass dancing, uh, fancy dancing, and traditional dancing. Than there is with um, showcasing our, our culture. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, for non-Indigenous people who see this, that is their perspective of who we are. So when they think of Indigenous people, they're going to think of whoever was there at that show. Um. So, grass dancers, traditional dancers, um, jingle dress dancers, yeah. things like that. So, they are now taking that on and grouping us all as powwow dancers, which, I mean, powwow dancing is not too... Yeah. Too, uh,
2: sorry? Like, I seen um, one time I came back, I was doing a presentation, I was getting changed, and this little kid came up to me, and he said, um, he was like, well, if you guys are, like, powwow dancers and stuff, like... Would all you guys be like like yeah. going around in regalias and stuff? And I thought about it and I was like like back in our traditional societies, would everybody be like walking around with like fancy bustles and like yeah. regular bustles and fancy shawls? And I don't know, like, no, because it was a show. Like yeah. it originated from Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. That's yeah. where powwows came from. Wow. And
1: that's debatable. Well but <laughs> but that gets into yeah. The fact that there is no right or wrong answer. Do you know what I mean? Right. So, like, my teachings on powwows are going to be drastically different from Joe's response right there. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't make him wrong. So doesn't uh, make you right either. Exactly.
0: Other than our other than our friends and family that listen, we have tons of non indigenous listeners that and. Were, uh, no, no, but they're they're probably saying to themselves, like, I want to listen to this Indigenous podcast. A lot of people, I tell them, listen to our podcast if you want to know things about Indigenous people, because we'll talk about it and it's from an Indigenous perspective. But what what are we telling them? Because there's an appetite right now for teachers to go out and they want to do the right thing. They're not Indigenous themselves. They don't want to leave it out of the course material because it's an injustice. But now they've heard you say that if they approach the wrong people, like, there, there are people that are, you know, Indigenous for hire, right? They're out there. So
1: how do they how do they go about
0: including indigenous material in their courses this is for anybody well,
1: how do they i mean just like they do with anything else in their lives when you're hiring a contractor you want to make sure that this contractor is reputable yeah yes. right you want to yeah. make sure that this the work that you're, the, the money the amount of money that you're paying him is going to be justified in the work that's done um, but when it comes to indigenous knowledge how do you do that yeah,
0: like how many people get bamboozled by mechanics, right? Oh, okay. Because they don't know anything about cars. Yep. Yeah. So someone says, you know, your, your defibrillator is broken. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then you get. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then you pull it in your driveway, and your neighbor's like, your car doesn't have a defibrillator. Right? <laughs> but that would be really easy for somebody to do to. Uh, not, not that our people are running Wrong. around scooping yeah. up big bucks for these types it's of things. It's entirely but. possible and it's it's a scary reality
2: because some people who do go to school and they do like learn these PhDs and get all this stuff in indigenous 101, they like they do that mm-hmm. and they be like the, the be all and all and they say like oh your ego father is whatever and then they uneducate the, well they educate the non-indigenous
1: people who are teaching the younger students mm-hmm. like they're teaching them the wrong things. For for me, teachers need to understand that when you're talking about indigenous issues, that's the equivalent of talking about European issues and that we are all individual nations. And to categorize us all as one is, uh, you're doing a drastic injustice to who we are as a people. I mean, there is similarities and all of our cultures are beautiful, but there is those differences. Um, and you should be respectful of that and mindful of, of that too. Okay. Just my opinion, too. I mean, that's, and that's just indigenous issues. We're not even talking about um, Aboriginal issues as as defined in the Canadian Constitution, right? Metis, Inuit, they often get left behind
0: so we've been we I think we covered a lot of ground here, but there there are a couple things before we get into traveling thoughts, I do want to get into the traveling thought, and we will explain what the traveling thought is if for whatever crazy reason this is the first time you've ever listened to one dish one mic, first off, put down your iPod and go back and listen to all the other episodes, and then resume from here represent. right, yeah, represent so listen to them all but i want to, I want to know I get this question all the time, and the pe- the question that people ask me is that that what what can I do to make sure that that my educational institute is doing good by Indigenous people? Where can I go to get this knowledge from? Where how can I how can I ensure that where I work or where I go to is doing a good job representing Indigenous interests? What do you think, Joe? For me, kind
2: of what I do is like I travel I travel a lot I go to different communities I talk to a lot of different people I talk to a lot of different like uh, traditional elders um, and I see like how they do. Uh, like their things and how they do things up there and then I kind of bring that knowledge with me and I go to another place and I bring that back with me and I go to another place so then overall I get like a kind of sense on like how we're supposed to be doing it and like I kind of pick out That there's, uh, yeah, some communities might have some flaws and, like, other workplaces might have their flaws, but when you come in and you tie it all together, like, all the good stuff and all the the positive things that they're doing, it really gives you a sense on, like, what we're supposed to do and be as Indigenous people and how we're supposed to, like, educate ourselves, really. So, that's how I do it.
1: Um, For me, my political response would be go to your local Friendship Center and talk to the cultural resource worker there. Um... That's the whole basis of their job is to have those resources at hand. Um, my indigenous response is go to the local indigenous community, go to an event, and ask ask the community members who are in attendance, who 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 would a good who would be a good person to bring in, and I guarantee you'll if you ask enough people you'll get probably the same amount of. Uh, Response is that equal who yeah. you should bring in? Same twenty people. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not on that list. <laughs> but I mean, the, the community is is uh, they won't hold back. They'll tell you who to go to. Mm-hmm. So that would be my response. You probably do get approached
0: by educators, right?
3: Yeah. <laughs> like, what, do you, yeah. what do you say to you're them? You're in the <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not to single you out or anything, yeah. but. Uh,
3: well, one of the things I remember, I remember, because, like, the, the, the like the school that I went to, I was talking about where I was going in to talk to the grade threes. That one was, it was, like, it wasn't my, it was, I was going to say, it wasn't my gig. It wasn't my, like, it wasn't my, like, my thing to go to. But I the friend I, I was helping out, I was, like, I know, I was, like, I know how kids learn. <laughs> so I was, like, I'll come and I'll help you out and... And kind of like as you infuse as much of like as uh, as much of the knowledge that you have with these activities to help it help it communicate to them better. Because I was like, there's there's stuff that we didn't like that you don't really that you like don't really. I'm trying to like think of a way to describe this, but there's stuff like that you're not too sure that the kids know, and so it's almost like you have to start from like the ground level and work. Towards, like, a, like with things that they're familiar with. So one of the things was, like, well, did you know that, like, Ontario is a Mohawk word? Like, little things like that to, like, to try and introduce a subject to them. Um, but, no, like, that was, like, I think uh, Sean's, Sean's advice was probably, like, the most sound. Like, go, like, the best thing you can do is go to, the ter- like, the nearest territory. Talk to, whether it's, like, a friendship center or whether it's a place like Polytech that houses, like, or, like, an a cultural center. Or elders. Yeah, or elders in the community and find out who are the people that you should be talking to. Because, like, it does happen, like, in on each reserve. Who should, I, who should I be talking to if I want to know about this? Oh, you want to talk to, like, you know, Joe so-and-so from...
2: Shauna like, from Wiki.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Joe, Joe Shauna from Wiki. You want to talk to that boy. Yeah, <laughs> like, they'll, they'll give you... And then you'll have, like, at least, like, a number of four or five different people that you can contact or reach out to depending on what the subject is. But, but that, that coming to us, that coming to contact us, that's, that's, like, a huge step. And I think a lot of people are a little bit nervous to take that step because within, within what, like, your Western, main, like, your mainstream, like, education, being wrong is something bad, being wrong about something or not knowing something is is it's not a good thing yeah, it's but full yeah. yeah but but it's like it's a good like it's it's a great thing to be like wrong sometimes to to be to make mistakes because then you have a way to like like you are given the advice or you're given the direction to correct it so this is like this is kind of like a a way to I guess, like open, open the doors, like open the dialogue to like tell people, like just come talk to us. <laughs> it's, like, it's kind of like when, yeah. when somebody's like, Oh, is that person in a relationship? And you're like, Oh no, why don't you go just ask yep. them? <laughs> like, that type deal. But, um, I don't know if that articulated it better,
0: but <laughs> no, that that makes sense. Like you know, did you know that we live in an in a society with fully thriving indigenous people? Yeah, <laughs> they could exactly. be, they, like, what? really? What? what
1: you you <laughs> 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 they could be your neighbors, right? <laughs> 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 so, oh my gosh. Uh,
0: <laughs>
1: your neighbor's indigenous, <laughs>
0: right? <laughs> so I
1: did a, a commercial to advertise our show on other podcasts and that was our theme what do you do when you see an indigenous person walking down the street <laughs> yeah walk up and say hi <laughs> right? you so treat them like you treat anybody else <laughs>
0: yeah there, I mean there there's a couple there's a couple tidbits that, that I would propose first off find a way to reinvest in your community to make sure that your community has indigenous community assets like some communities don't have friendship centers for example right mm-hmm. yeah so if you have resources put your resources into things like friendship centers or if you Near Six Nations, go to Six Nations, right? Shop there, eat there, uh, procure Six Nations businesses. I heard that um, all of the owners of the businesses in the Ashwigan Plaza were women. I'd wow. heard that yes. somewhere. I think
3: I think actually I am pretty sure that's not that cool. Right.
0: Yeah, isn't that yeah. cool to think about, right? That's awesome. So we you know, why couldn't we have that right here, right here in Niagara, right? So that's that's one part of it. The other thing that I would recommend is to go and listen to the episode on an indigenous identity that Joe and I did. And Ooh. we'll we'll talk about we'll talk about sort of how you can understand the legitimacy of an indigenous person. We're I don't we're we i do not we are we do not have time to get into Joseph Boyden today, right? Oh, man. But we we sort of touched the tip of that iceberg. Of who decides who is and isn't indigenous, and especially for a non-indigenous person just trying to do a good job in their course, yeah. right? There, there are some simple tools of using the local resources and, and talking to your friendship centers mm-hmm. and reaching out. So we've covered a lot of ground, um, but I think that there's something that we like to do we have a little bit of a tradition on our on our show right so the tradition is called the, the traveling thought and it's modeled after the traveling song but I don't I don't really want to describe the traveling song because it's not a, it's not a head on a show anything Sean or Joe not to tokenize you guys oh, but I guess I'll do it because I'm a singer
1: <laughs> um, wait did you say I'm not a
0: singer <laughs> just kidding wow Sean's no longer a singer you've I been just, kicked, kicked out of the club Yep. <laughs> <laughs> We were going to tell you after.
1: We were going to tell you after. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) wow. Just kidding. He has a music video, too. so I'm allowed to do this. There's literally pictures (laughs) of us winning awards together. (laughs) Yeah. In the same (laughs) drum group.
2: I was, like, eight? (laughs) Okay. Uh, A traveling song is basically to send everybody off in a good way. Uh, um, To basically uh, thank everybody for the everything that they brought to the event or everything that they brought to what we were doing, uh, to send everybody off and make sure that they get home safe and, uh, that they're well. Yeah.
0: Awesome. That's it. Perfect. So that's the traveling, that's the traveling song. So we have a traveling thought and that's the same idea that we want to send away our listeners with, with something positive from today's episode, right? Yeah. So, Sean, you're a KG veteran. Boom. The KG veteran of the podcast. And you you win the singing award in my heart.
1: <laughs>
0: but he's got Joe Post posters everywhere. Yeah, that's
1: true. <laughs> um, so, a couple things that I want people to take away from this podcast is John A. McDonald was bad. Yeah, that's not Agreed. Agreed. Um, and that indigenous education should be inclusive to all indigenous people, um, but it should not be defined in western context there is many ways to do and learn and just keep that in mind Uh, understand that we are free-flowing like the wind and our knowledge is equally as free-flowing so those are my traveling thoughts. nice all right
0: beautiful that's beautiful. Do you have a traveling thought for us today, yeah, Megan? I, I, I know I was the no. I
3: was just <laughs> thinking, I was like, I was just trying to motion paint. Like, yeah.
0: We're a really well animated group, actually. The people, the people that only get to listen to us are missing a lot of fun of our flailing hands and <laughs> any facial expressions. Yeah. only you can see all
3: if the. the only you can yeah. see.
0: It's yeah. great. Yeah. Though we divided ourselves by territory. Mm-hmm. We put Anishoni on one side of the table yeah, and Anishinaabe on that. the other side of the table. So. I
3: noticed that when we were like having to look at... I think
0: it what was it's just sounds? blood memory. <laughs> Fair enough.
2: <laughs> you guys just separated <laughs> yourself from us immediately.
0: <laughs> it's true. Yeah. We, we came way over here. I know. <laughs> and I'm like, I guess I'll sit over here. Everybody's
2: in black chairs and I'm in a blue chair in their corner. <laughs> okay.
0: We adopted
3: Sean a while ago. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just kidding.
1: Long way over here. Maxwell <laughs>
0: <laughs> he uh, I don't think that's how that works. So. so, do you have a traveling thought?
3: My traveling thought is essentially that, like, there's. Who know. I'm not trying to think of like a good way. I guess like, don't paint your students with the same brush. <laughs>
0: don't paint your students hashtag <laughs> don't put war paint on them don't for sure war
3: paint them. acrylic doesn't work yeah. acrylic, doesn't, <laughs> acrylic doesn't wash out I'm just letting you know no but um i guess just like just like i'm not too sure if like you want this for your indigenous audience or for your non indigenous audience but like i kind of think that like to look into especially if they're an educator, I'm going to, I guess I'm going to direct this to the educators out there. like Just to be looking at different models of teaching and different ways of like, of communicating concepts to your kids because your, your students are always, I think each teacher knows this, that like your students are going to be vastly different. And, Especially when, like, just that, like, you, we have, your students are going to be diverse in your classroom. And you want to be making making sure that, like, you're accommodating their learning styles. But also, like, being very aware of, like I said like, the Indigenous students in your class, too. And, like, representing them, like, to the best of, like, your ability. Because I, I feel like that's kind of, like, the, I guess, the, theme, the takeaway thought that I got from, like, the whole... From our whole clock, because we've been talking, we've gone over so many different subjects. I was kind of like, wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> like, no. I have, to, yeah, like, no, I have backs up shuffle, It but. happens.
0: Yeah. What do you think, Joe?
2: Um, for my traveling thought, I'd say kind of what you said. Um, don't really paint your students with the same brush. But um, for the indigenous studies out there, embrace your indigenous students that are in your class. Don't tokenize them because they're Indigenous and they're, in their own ways. Some of them might even be more knowledgeable than you and embrace that because they're going to be strong leaders one day and you will be the person responsible if you dampen their souls. I know it's happened. I can't tell you when,
1: but it's happened to me. In just a disclaimer, in no way, shape, or form is this directed at the Indigenous student's teacher at 43 Secondary School.
2: No way. Oh, hey, that institution closed, or him,
0: her, or him. Oh boy! Yeah, yeah there is no more forty. Years yeah, there's no school, more. So you so. can't even look it up anymore. Yeah, it's true. They went out of business.
3: No, I think that's perfect. That's exactly what I wanted to say because I was just trying to figure a way to articulate it as the thoughts were fleeing my head.
0: Well said. <laughs> What's your traveling thought? My traveling thought is is pretty simple. Uh, everything that everybody said so far don't don't tokenize your students. Don't paint your students. Don't use war paint <laughs> in the so
1: class.
0: <laughs> buy acrylic. <laughs> buy, buy acrylic. Oh my god! It'll, in all seriousness though don't don't be afraid of a challenge either like it's it's a, such a fine line right because i'm going to say don't be afraid of a challenge and then teachers are going to go out there and they're going to be making like war bonnets and you know doing all this sort of risky stuff right but but just try and use some common sense. Use the resources that you have. I read the curriculum as my daughters go through public school. Like, I read it and I look at it to see the curriculum that, that's out there for Ontario teachers is, is okay. Like, stick to that. If you, if you don't know it for sure, just stick to the letter of the curriculum. Um, but outside of that, don't, don't be afraid of the challenge of engaging Indigenous people. Anything that's, that's worth doing doesn't come to you easily. So if, if it's easy, then you're probably not doing it right. Try a little bit harder. That's my traveling thought for the day. Thank you, everybody, for listening to One Dish, One Mic in the Niagara Pop Up Podcast Studio, right here at CoWork Niagara, home of Niagara's independent workforce. It's been this show with me, Carl Alexander, Choshana. Co-Sean
1: Danopoulos, Alyssa M.
0: Jenna. Thank you so much for for being part of our All Star Panel. No problem. Dun, dun, dun. Click East versus West. <laughs> yeah, all right. East
3: versus West.
0: <laughs> Click like, share. Do it all. Nigiwa. Love, guys.
1: Thanks for listening to One Dish, One Mic on the Niagara Podcasters Network. Your hosts are Carl Dockstater and Sean Vanderklis. Recording is done at the Pop-Up Podcast Studio at Cowork Niagara, home of Niagara's Independent Workforce. Executive producer is Trevor Twining. Production assistance by Daniel Twining. Show artwork by Mitch Baird. Music by DJ Shubb, used with permission. If you have show ideas or comments, you can reach us on Twitter at Niagara Podcasts.